Memory Wild Card Edition. I'm here with Newman. Newman, are you excited for Wild Card Weekend or what? As much as much as it pains me to see the regular season come to an end, you, you got to look forward to the playoffs. Like some of the best football that gets played all year is in the playoffs. Uh, new year, new me, <laughs> and uh, let's just hit the ground running. I mean, it's, it's been bittersweet. Uh, college has been pretty exciting. Uh, a lot of really good games. Some surprises uh, throughout. Um, but first, before we get going, let's send a good congratulations to Derek. He won our Pickums for the year. Yay! Congratulations, buddy. Um, and I think his uh, season-long victory will be topped with the Patriots' loss, but we'll uh, we'll dip into that here in a little bit. Um, so, Hall of Fame 2020. Um, they just announced the finalists, and we were kind of going back and forth on some of these guys. It's a pretty good list of uh, Hall of Famers coming in. And truthfully, I would not want to be the person picking. Uh, it's really tough for me, um, you as well. So we've got five names here. Mr. Newman, who do you like to join the Hall of Fame this year? So let me just, let's first, let's read off the, the finalists for the Hall of Fame. So Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists, Troy Polamalu, Reggie Wayne, Tory Holt, John Lynch, Edron James, Richard Seymour, Steve Atwater, Zach Thomas, Isaac Bruce, Leroy Butler, Tony Baselli, Alan Fanica, Steve Hutchinson, Bryant Young, and Sam Mills. The only name on here that I didn't really recognize is Sam Mills. You filled me on in on him a little bit. To me, it doesn't sound like he's really a guy that qualifies. So we're gonna eliminate him off the off the jump. I think there's one guy that is a surefire first ballot on here, oh, yeah. and that is your boy. Troy Polamalu, Mr. Show Up Everywhere, Mr. Prevent uh, Pat McAfee from ever scoring a touchdown in his life, uh, that guy the, with, the, with the great hair. Yeah. Talk, talk about revolutionizing position. They, they have created a, what's called a rover position now, which is your hybrid linebacker safety spot, mm-hmm. um, due in part because of the versatility that he provided to the game. Yeah, so football has started to move, especially in the defensive end. To this kind of you almost don't want necessarily guys it used to be where hey you had to be a certain height and a weight a certain arm length measurement etc to play certain positions now these guys that used to be maybe tweeners are like hey if they're fast enough and they're big enough that actually helps a guy like derwin james a guy like jalen ramsey that you can play in different spots that do not have to isolate and play just one position is actually where you want to go with the way that the game has spread out and become more about speed absolutely uh, and to me, I think Troy Polamalu was one of the first guys that really started being used in that manner. And, and some of the things he did, you, you, you really had to watch those replays and be like, how? how, how? Like, he, he's an incredibly smart guy, too. So he would just watch, study film, and he would just have the... he would key on things and you know you could occasionally get him i think there's some of those some of those stories about him and peyton manning having these having these epic battles where it's like peyton would be like what the hell is troy lining up over there for because he'd see something on film he'd do this he'd be like okay and then he'd try to figure it out or they'd be like all right cool let's put him out of the play as far away from the play as we can by like uh fake dummying some read that he's that he's keying on (laughs) i I used to watch those games and um those matchups and it was it was literally like how they depicted it in madden peyton would call 13 audibles before the play started but then troy would audible the whole it was it was something spectacular to watch um i definitely miss that guy and i'm still a little salty that he got snubbed off the uh all hundred team 
Yeah, um, I think that's a fair it's a fair uh, reason to be snubbed and a little salty about. Uh, Joy Palomalu might be uh, maybe the number two all-time Steelers defensive player behind Mean Joe Green. Oh, Mean Joe. So, um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, and that's one of the premier and marquee franchises in the NFL's history. Uh, so I don't have any issue with you being snubbed on that. Second for me, I'm going to go down to John Lynch. Now, this might be a little bit of a homer pick as, uh, you know, grew up in the Tampa Bay area, got to watch a lot of John Lynch. But to me, he's a guy who also did a little bit of changing the way the safety was played. So he was actually drafted as a linebacker out of Stanford. Um, and then Tony Dungy shows up, I think, his second year. And they're like, why is this guy playing linebacker? We need to move him back to safety. And he became the epitome of the reason why the Tampa 2 was successful. Now, there's people that criticize, oh, the Bucks. how can that Bucks team have four guys or three guys or whatever be inducted into the Hall of Fame if they only won one Super Bowl? Well, the reason for the Bucks' success was entirely that defense, and their offense should not be held against them as far as I'm concerned. And there's other plenty of teams and situations where guys get in to the Hall of Fame off of one Super Bowl victory. Oh, so I don't think that you can hold that against him or them. But if you actually go back and watch the NFL Films coverage of that Super Bowl. They had him mic'd up, and I'm sure John Gruden walked into uh, the Bucks as soon as they found out they are playing the Raiders, literally just handed them the playbook, um, and John Lynch just studied it because he's literally calling out every play, telling people exactly where they need to be for the game. Um, and while he may not have been able to do that as successfully against every team because he didn't have the playbook, I'm sure he was a major part, and he's always been a major part of that defense. All the guy did was... Uh, be a perennial pro-, pro bowler while he was with Tampa Bay. Then the Bucks, in one of the most Bucks moves ever, decide they're going to get rid of him because they want to move on and get younger at the position. So all he does is run off to Denver and I think go to three more Pro Bowls. Yeah, uh, I don't think that guy was done. That was a huge mistake. Thanks, Bruce Allen. Have fun in retirement land. Bone crushing hits is what I remember. I, I've never, I was never a Bucks fan. Uh, never have been. Never would be. But I really loved watching him play. Um, he, he was something spectacular, and he's actually on my list as well. And I think we had three definites that we were uh, in sync with. And I, I'm, I'm going to have more of a unique uh, top five here. And um, I'm going to actually go with my third, safety. Um, someone who kind of gets overlooked is Leroy Butler. Um, he was a staple of that Packers defense. Um, the defense, they, they, they were good. They weren't always great, but he was always great. I think, I think you ra- rang off a four-time All-Pro. Uh, is it, was that the number you had? Yeah, four-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro. He also uh, went to Florida State, so he would give Florida State their fifth Pro Bowler. That would put, push them even farther ahead of the University of Florida in that conquest, mm-hmm. as they would give now have five to two. Uh, and he also... Uh, his he had an impact off the field as well. So anybody that ever goes or watches a game in Lambeau knows that Lambeau is famous for the Lambeau Leap. Oh, yeah. The very first Lambeau Leap was... Leroy Butler takes a ball back to the house, jumps up into the stands with all this joy and glee, and forever creates the Lambo leap that we now have and love today. It's all in football lore. Yeah. Um, our, our wide receivers, I think we were kind of torn on. Um, they were all good, great at times, but really hard to push them through with some of the names. But I'm going with Reggie Wayne on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was great, even even when Peyton was gone. Uh, he he did a really good mentorship role for the Colts, um, and he was always productive. Uh, I've always been a big fan of his. Um, 
past those first three, it, it was it's really a crapshoot for me. Yeah. Uh, but Reggie Wayne would be my my four slot. Yeah. So for me, I, I I do like Reggie Wayne. I do think eventually he's probably a Hall of Famer. But I'm not going to put him in at this point. I don't think he's one of the five best players on this list. Um, and also there is. For whatever reason, the Hall of Fame always tries to deny wide receivers access to the Hall of Fame. We've seen guys that like Chris Carter, who's one of the greatest of all time and a better wide receiver than Reggie Wayne, have to wait for a long stretch of time in order to get into the to the Hall of Fame. And to me, it is not fair to allow Reggie Wayne to get in there when there's better players on the list and there's also wide receivers that were better that had to wait longer. So I'm not going to hold it against him in future years, but I don't think as a first ballot kind of guy that he's really necessarily in there. Mm-hmm. Um Tory Holt, uh, he has very similar numbers to Reggie Wayne, and he's a great candidate, probably eventually gets in. Uh, to me, Isaac Bruce is not a guy that ever should get in. He was never the best wide receiver on his team, or a good team anyway. Um, he has lots of yardage. He's you know a deep threat, different kind of wide receiver. But to me, he's, he's never a guy that I was like, that guy's a Hall of Famer ever in my mind, and I don't think the numbers support that. I'm actually not going to put any wide receivers in. Uh, the next spot I'm going to move down to is... Uh, so. I played some offensive line, uh, and I think it's the most important you know, aspect on the field. If you can control the offensive line, it really doesn't matter who your quarterback is. doesn't matter who your running back is. doesn't matter what your defense has got. If you have a dominant offensive line, you can really control the game. Uh, Alan Fanica and Steve Hutchinson, for me, are both Hall of Famers. Their numbers are super similar if you look at them. Um, I'm going to pull it up real quick. So we've got Steve Hutchinson first. Uh, he had seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro as an offensive guard. Like Not he, easy. he Not is easy. just a monster. Um, he he solidified some of the greatest rushing attacks that we've seen. Uh, he played for Seattle under Sean Alexander, had one of the most productive seasons we've ever seen in NFL history. Uh, he then played for the yeah. He then played for the Minnesota Vikings for several years um, and finished it off with Tennessee for one year. But that's a guy that's absolutely he's to me he's a Hall of Famer. Um, and I, it, why it's taken so long, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, and then Alan Fanica, nine-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro. So even better numbers. Um, he, he's a stud. Pittsburgh and a little time, a few years with the Jets and then Arizona. He's also a guy who, you know, laid the groundwork for just these awesome rushing teams um, and rushing success as well as pass success. So there's a reason that these guys get selected and win as many All-Pro awards. Pro Bowl awards are half mid-year season kind of things. Their numbers can get skewed and whatever, but when you look at the All-Pro numbers, like the guys who win All-Pro, those are the best player at their position. And these guys did it multiple years, almost half their careers, really. So to me, they're lock-in Hall of Famers. So I'm going to take the three safeties and the two guards. Yes, yeah. Fanica's my number five. Um, I was I was in the same boat. Um, I, I love it down and dirty. Um, I just didn't know if they were going to slide two offensive linemen in one. So if I had to choose, I loved watching Fanica. Um, if we're gonna if we're gonna bring up uh, make the class wider, why not have the bookend guards right there? Right. Bring it, bring it on, baby. Um, <clears throat> so trickling down, the All Pro teams were just announced, and my guy Christian McCaffrey is the first offensive player to have two first team All Pros. I think the flex position's a little garbage. Garbage, you know. <laughs> uh, I add another receiver, add another position, but you shouldn't be able to have two. You shouldn't be a, all, all pro in two positions, only playing one. But kudos to him. He he was Carolina. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could say that he was an all-pro as a wide receiver and a running back. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't blame you for that, the way he gets utilized in terms of the amount of touches that he had. He was their offense, and he was the reason that they are in a lot of those games. And he's probably the reason that a lot of teams won fantasy football championships this year. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, uh, when you talk about most valuable player, um, it, I was really looking at everything. When you talk about most valuable player... It's really him and Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, other yeah. guys had really good numbers, but when you talk about the team relied on that one guy, um, for me, it, it was a crapshoot. Uh, one thing I was actually excited to see, uh, we had three Steelers on the first team All-Pro. T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, who had a fantastic year, mm-hmm. uh, and Minka, we, we knew that one was coming. Um, right. So a lot, a, lot of, a lot of positive things going with Pittsburgh going into next year. They're actually... Depending on Ben's health, my favorite, obviously. So, so who do you have the most, who, who do you have the biggest issue with of the all-pro guys? You know, so I was looking at this. Um, for me, I think it would be Darius Leonard. Okay. There's, uh, and it has no, it's not a knock towards, like, his talent or his ability. We know that he's incredible. Well, I think he missed. He, he was a second-team all-pro linebacker. Yeah, and uh, I think he missed, what, six, six seven games almost. Uh but he, he wasn't as effective this year mm-hmm. uh, coming back from the injury. So I think that was more of like a uh, a name a name drop getting into the all-pro. Yeah. Um, um, so that would be that would be my question mark. Um, obviously, we saw some of the typos that we were looking at, but uh, I didn't I just didn't feel like he was deserving. How about yourself? So I have I have a couple issues, mostly with the way guys are either first or second team. To me, DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best wide receivers in football. He did not have a good season, right. and it was not all-pro worthy, in my opinion. Uh, bounced from the all-pro team in favor of Chris Godwin, who makes the second team. Uh, I think that that's a huge mistake. Chris Godwin... Uh, Pro Football Focus, after after he got hurt, had him as the number one uh, wide receiver in football. Uh, so, I mean, you, if you have Chris Godwin up there instead of DeAndre uh, DeAndre Hopkins, then down at the other one, you know, you got Julio Jones, and you can, you can open up another spot. Um, or at least DeAndre Hopkins could be a second-teamer. He's not a first-team All-Pro this, for me, as, as far as this year's concerned. Uh, going back to the linebackers, a guy who gets snubbed, how about Levante David? He's consistently one of the best linebackers every in the year, league, but he doesn't year. necessarily rush the passer a lot, so he doesn't get credit for that. And the things that he does, like, he creates a ton of turnovers. He is one of the driving forces. Obviously, the Bucks defense isn't great, but it's not Levante David's fault, and he just never gets the credit for those situations. Um... I, I I really enjoy like so they did a really good job with the guards um, and I think they really the offensive lines in general. Um, I do have an issue with Bactieri. Uh, every time I actually saw him on national television, he was getting his butt whooped. That's, so that's another one of those names, right? Yeah. So he's a guy that I, I question how much he actually had that impact, the All Pro style impact. But Rodney Hudson, Marshall Yonda, Joel Batonio, Joe Thune, Mitchell Schwartz, these are all guys that are consistently great at the offensive line positions for the second teamers, and then your first teamers, uh, Ronnie Stanley, who put up one of the best passing uh, pass blocking seasons of all time this year. Uh, Ryan Ramchek is a solid stud for um, the Saints. Quentin Nelson, year, two years in, he's got two all-pro teams as an offensive guard. He's on that Alan Fanica slash uh, Steve Hutchinson style uh, pace. pace. Zach Martin for the Cowboys is really good. And Jason Kelsey for the Eagles, maybe one of the most athletic centers in the league, um, if not. And he's consistently up there. So I don't have any issues with any of those guys. Um, another issue, maybe on the second team, uh, I don't think T.J. Watt was as productive as Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks this year. So Shaq gets knocked down to the second team. Um, 
And then, you know, for the most part, I think they did. Eric, Eric Kendricks actually really deserved it. And he's a guy that gets overlooked. He got overlooked for the Pro Bowl, but they finally did him justice and got him onto the All Pro team. And then uh, Stefan Gilmore and Tredavious Wright, uh, they were the two best corners in the league, maybe yeah, the yeah. two best defensive players in the league, to be honest, this year. Yeah, now with speaking of TJ Watt, the, I still have an issue, you know, back to McCaffrey. First team in one spot, second team in another. I, mm-hmm. I think you can only be deserving of one position. It's just really cut and dry, black and white. For right. Me. Um, um, so we're we're having an exciting off season. Um, we got some new coaching carousels going on. Okay. Um, let me just say congratulations to Washington. I thought that was a fantastic hire. I've always been a fan of Ron Rivera. He's done a fantastic job in Carolina. Obviously. Uh, you know, not a good year. Cam goes down. Uh, they're working through some issues, and it's not like it's not like the NFC South is like the easiest division. <coughs> Even when the teams aren't performing well, they're still solid teams. Um, and t- uh, two-time coach of the year, and um, in his nine years there, and he got into the Super Bowl. Um, I think he's the right type of guy to help transition Washington into competing in the East. Yeah, so sometimes he gets a little bit too much credit for some of the some of those successes that they've had there. But at the end of the day, I think he is a good coach. I also think that he maybe takes a little bit too much blame. They've had some issues with that front office. I still think that they're having issues with the front office. They changed ownership. All these things are things that he's had to deal with. And then they've had some injuries to big-time players over the course of his tenure there. So there's some of that that you would be like, okay— is this guy really getting a fair shake in Carolina? Maybe his voice had just grown stale and it was time to move on. Uh, I think it's a good fit for the Redskins if they actually let him do what he needs to do in order to be successful there. But Dan Snyder has a you know is known is known to meddle, and so uh, while I wish Rivera the best, uh, that that that's one thing that I don't know that that's going to pay off that way for him. Yeah. But as of now, I think I think it's just a good hire. Um, instead of waiting around for a lot of question marks, you get a guy in there who. Proven to you know at least be somewhat successful. Um, so um, obviously we want to talk about the uh, the saga between Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett. It's been nothing but entertaining. The fact that it took longer than uh, instantaneous firing on Sunday night or Monday morning to me is the is the most surprising part of this here. Um, it I think what it finally happened yesterday. So yeah, it, third meeting, right? Yeah. Why do you need to have so many meetings? You you know that you don't want this guy in the organization as the, the head coach baby. anymore. So just the Cowboys being the Cowboys. That's one of those issues where it's like, can the Cowboys actually ever win a Super Bowl with Jerry Jones as the GM going forward? That's something we don't really know. If he's going to be making those decisions, that's something that has to concern you as Cowboys fans. Now, you guys get the benefit of the doubt, and you get put on national television way too much, and we all get suffered into seeing it. Uh, but, you know, it's it's what you signed up for when you bandwagoned onto those Cowboys. Yeah, it's good for the ratings. Um, so, Freddie Kitchens finally got fired. Um, the John Dorsey one was interesting to me. Um, he's, he's had a pretty good uh, history, I think, with the Chiefs and Patriots. Um Maybe him and ownership just didn't see eye to eye on where they wanted the franchise to go. Yeah, that the reports were that they just were not aligned in terms of how the organization was going to be structured from this point forward. I think that's a. I think John Dorsey is a really good GM. He's proven that he's made excellent decisions time and time again in terms of who he drafted and who he uh, traded for while he was with even the Browns in that short period of time. The what two years, year and a half plus, whatever. Um, 
he he's the one that the reason why there was such a hype train around the Browns going into this season. Now he did make a bad decision. I guess ultimately it was his decision to hire Freddie Kitchens, and we see how that paid off for him, <laughs> uh, and it cost him his job. Uh, John Dorsey's a guy that if he wants to be a GM or if he wants to be in a front office somewhere, he's going to find a job. Somewhere. I have no I have no issue. I have no problem uh, thinking that that's going to happen, and, and he's probably going to be successful at whatever he does. Um, if you're the Browns moving forward, so they said, they came out and said, they plan on hiring a head coach and right. then allowing that head coach to have say in who the next GM is going to be. Now, this is an interesting redesign of the structure because it's always normally top down, right? GM hires the head coach. But lately, more and more, we've seen a lot of these really good coaches having a lot more say in terms of personnel. And that makes sense to some degree, right? I'm the guy who's cooking the groceries or cooking the dinner. So I might as well pick the groceries as Bill Parcells used to say. Um, so, you know, you've seen obviously the Patriots, Bill Belichick is the one who's making the calls there on personnel. Bill O'Brien's doing it for the Houston Texans. Andy Reid had say in terms of who was put in place for the GM when they got rid of John Dorsey and Chris Ballard. And they've done a really good job. Um, wait, is Chris Ballard? I'm sorry. Actually, Chris Ballard is in Indianapolis. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah. See, for me, I think if you are going to go with that formula, I think you have to go with someone who has some history as the coach. Um, and for who's available, I think you've really only got two options. Um, one name has been floating around, but he's interviewing elsewhere. As of now, is Mike McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, just if you want to go in that, in that formula. Right. Um, and we'll talk about some possible replacements here next and then obviously uh, um, Shermer goes Gettleman doesn't I mean, I'm an, I'm not a Gettleman guy. I've been against Gettleman basically since his history in Carolina. I've just noticed that he was obviously obviously a really bad uh GM, and he's done nothing to shake me of that belief okay. system. So the fact that they're giving him another opportunity to hire another head coach after this incident, uh, to me, is a little bit surprising on the Mars part. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what the what the long term plan is there, and uh, so I guess you're you're stuck with him and hope that he's going to make a good coaching hire here. Um, there are some options. There's plenty of good coaching candidates out there. So, you know, if you can hire the right coaching candidate, then maybe we can get that fixed. But I just don't believe in Gettleman, and I think that they're missing the boat by not cleaning house. Um, as we start touching on these names, can we just throw out Urban Meyer? I know everyone's, there's rumblings of him. I don't think he wants to come back into coaching. I don't think his heart can handle it. I don't think generally, more often than not, coaches make that great transition from college into the NFL. Um, i.e. Nick Saban. Um, but there are a couple names out there that... Pat, I, Pat I, McCarthy. Yeah. I think there's a couple names out there that deserve the opportunity. Greg Roman being one. Uh, I I really would like to see what Urban Meyer could do as an NFL coach. I think it'd be interesting to watch from a dynamic, and I do think that he would be successful if he's put in the right situation with the right uh, personnel person to bring in that the personnel. So here's the thing. When you've been a guy as successful as he has in his stops, you know, at least especially most recently mm-hmm. at Ohio State, at Florida, he had some history of success, went in there, recruited his butt off, and then got these studs, right? So like, here's the thing. When, you, when you're when you in college and you can just recruit all the five-star recruits and you're going to get half of them or something like that, it's really easy to go out there and win because... Yeah. Talent is the most important thing at that level. Now, at the NFL level, it's also important, but you can't get 10 first-round draft picks. You can only get one every year, right? Or trade for others, et cetera, assets and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things that most college coaches face when they transition to the NFL. Um, 
I would like to see what a guy like Urban Meyer could do, though. I think he's a really good coach. He's a smart dude. He's, you know, his internal uh, moral morality is questionable. But, hey, that's not what we're talking about right now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it happen. I don't know, necessarily think it will. Um, so, yeah, we can put that to bed. Yeah, I don't think he wants it. Um, but maybe Jerry Jones is going to uh, follow some of his old championship uh Roots and grab a coach out of college, i.e. Lincoln he, Riley, Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at his first, his first move was to hire uh, Jimmy Johnson out of, from away from Miami, and that was successful. And then after uh, after Jimmy Johnson, he went and got Barry Switzer. Now Barry Switzer, it, everyone, no one wants to really give him credit for that that championship that they won in his first year because the Cowboys had, or the second year or whatever because the Cowboys had this loaded roster. But hey, he got the job done, and a lot of people have not done that in the past. So and no one and no one has done it since for the Cowboys, mm-hmm. mind you. Um. There's a couple, there's three names to me, uh, past McCarthy and Roman, since we've kind of touched on them. Uh, I think they are deserving. Um, I'd be interested to see Lincoln Riley, but I'm not really sold on him. But Josh McDaniels, I know there's talks maybe he's going to be stuck with New England, but I think maybe he's matured enough um, and learned enough about how to be a head coach that he deserves the opportunity, but... Sala and Christian Shard are two defensive minds I love. I love seeing them on the field, and the players love them. Um, those are two guys that I'd, I'd, I'd be anxious to see them getting gigs. Yeah, so I, I really do expect at least one of them to get a head coaching job at some point this year. Uh, in terms of all the stuff that they do, they've they've coordinated some pretty good defenses, and they've improved teams wherever they've been. They come from coaching trees that, of excellence, um, and they're young guys of non-Caucasian descent. So they were they're going to get some interviews for sure. Eric Bieniemy is also the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's African American. He's getting some interviews for some of these names. So we're going to see probably at least one uh, minority coaching hire out of this group, if not more than one, uh, which I think is a good thing for the NFL. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite one last year is still Flores. He's done a fantastic job in Miami. Um, you know, no one's really given the credit, but everyone thought they were tanking. And, man, when he gets fired up over some of these bad calls and bad things with the refs, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to fight the referee a couple times this year. And they've made some changes in terms of that coaching staff. They're bringing Chan Gailey out of retirement to be the offense coordinator. So he understood. He's like, I don't like the way this is going. This is what I'm going to do. And then he just does it. He's a guy that... Uh, I, I enjoy the way he's running the team. I'm scared as a Jets fan for his history with the Dolphins and whether or not he's going to be able to put that together uh, because I, I think it, it could be a, a challenge. The Jets, uh, I mean, the AFC East may turn into one of those better divisions come here in the future. Yeah, and if we're potentially to see, now I know Patriots fans don't want to hear this, but if Tom Brady and or Bill Belichick eventually step down away from that team and Josh McDaniels is not the hiring, then who knows? We might see this division upside down and the Patriots may be the team that's actually struggling. Well, I mean, they're, they're all really talented top to bottom. Um, and the talent is there at the Jets. It's not really there at the Dolphins, but I think with the right leadership, and they have a lot of draft picks. They have here. a ton of picks. Yep. And so the thing is, you don't have to make all those picks either. You can utilize those picks in order to acquire other players uh, to help raise the floor or improve um, for next year as opposed to the longer term. 
Yeah, there's uh, some exciting things to look forward to in the East. Um, so week 17, it, it was interesting. Quickly, um, I just wanted to touch on a few other names here. So Brian Dable, the offense coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, who's done a really good job with that offense. Um, he is a candidate who's being surfaced around. Um, and then you also have Stefanski, who is the offense coordinator for the Vikings. He was hired midseason as an interim, kept on place. He's a hot name in the terms of the coaching world. And uh, with the Cowboys getting rid of uh, Jason Garrett, there's talk of them attempting to go after Mike Zimmer, in which, which could open probably that would be the best job on the market if the Vikings were to come open because that's a really loaded team. Their GM does a really good job of finding talent in other places. So putting a different head coach, maybe an offensive-minded guy in that situation to help develop that roster a little bit and maybe be a little bit more aggressive, not so much punting, not so much conservative football, may actually be the ticket for Minnesota to take the next step. I, I definitely agree, but I think I just read something earlier. The um, Vikings ownership came out and said Zimmer's not going anywhere because there was uh, rumors surfacing of Jerry Jones wanting to go after Zimmer. Yeah. Uh, so he had to give up some picks. Maybe they should give well, they, they, they do. The they do have one more year uh, on his contract, the Vikings. So yes, a pick would be required in order. At least a pick would be required in order to exchange it. If I'm the Vikings, what does that pick have to be? I mean, if, if they offered me a second round pick or a couple picks, a second rounder, and something lower than that, I'd probably pull the trigger. As but I just personally don't necessarily think Mike Zimmer's the guy who's going to get it done for you. So if they want to give me picks for that, I'll take the picks. Uh, the Vikings have made a, a trade with the, with the Dallas Cowboys that actually shaped the future of the Cowboys, uh, in which they gave up some picks, for uh, and those picks resulted in the Cowboys' first and series of championships that they built uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. So maybe that could go the other way around if you're the Vikings. Yeah, well, you know, um, I, I did read that Dallas is looking for a defensive-minded coach. So Rashard Asala could be really good fits there. Rashard's already on the coaching staff, so they would only well, have, to to have to elevate him. Elevate right, him yes. Um, but, yeah, th- those guys could could definitely be candidates there. Um, so we had some interesting finishes uh, week 17 that really shook everything up. Um, Green Bay got the number one seed for the year, but they were getting smoked by Detroit early on. Uh, I think they were down 17 nothing, uh, near close to halftime. And uh, they came back and figured out a way to win, which um, thanks to San Francisco um, or Seattle losing, they they slid into the one overall seed. Um, I'm not really sure what we're going to see in the NFC, but I think the most intriguing thing to me was watching New England choke to the Dolphins. And we figured the Chiefs were going to win, but the way that that worked out, um, I don't know if you've seen the simulcast. uh, I I was actually watching both games at the same time. I was at the bar, and I had the Chiefs on one TV, and then a TV in front of me, and then the the, uh, Dolphins and and Patriots on the other TV. When I'm sitting next to some Patriots fans who are freaking out, of course, uh, while I'm watching the Chiefs, and the Chiefs actually were trailing for a little bit in that game, but... Then pulled they pulled away, um, and so as the as Fitzmagic did his thing and got the Dolphins further and further back into that game, the Patriots fans started slowly freaking out, which Patriots fans do. Mm. Boston sports fans uh, they love to freak out; they do it more than anything. All all it takes is one thing to go bad, and the world is coming Absolutely. to a burning end, and everything's against them. So it's fitting to sit there and watch it. It's really entertaining. You know, what was funny for me uh, was uh, San Francisco held on by one yard. And I was one yard away from the most bold prediction of my life that 
You know, at the one point, the Niners were 9-1, and one, New England was 9-1, and one, said neither was going to get their bye week. Well, San Francisco actually did finish as the one seed. You said oh, that Green Bay was the I, one, I, but I thought, Green, Green, Bay's, Green Bay's the Green two Bay because the they, they, they had the head-to-head victory over them. So San Francisco is actually the one, and they have home field throughout the playoffs, but Green Bay does get to host the their first playoff game at Lambeau Field, which is a huge factor because not being at Lambeau Field is a little bit of an advantage for uh, whoever doesn't have to go there, for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. That would be uh, my fault on that one. Um, So, in the sixth spot in the AFC, Pittsburgh got blown out by all Baltimore's backups. Yeah, so how do you feel about that? It's the same way I've been. Give give me something other than fire Mike Tomlin. Um... Fire Randy Fickner. Um, it's even even with even if you have backups, you, you saw backup quarterbacks being very successful, mm-hmm. um, and you have to figure out how to win with what you got. And when you have a defense, that's the, ra- the Ravens the players, Ravens weren't playing hardly at, anybody on their team at, at all, and they ran their basic stuff. Um, but Harbaugh came out to win. You know they faked a punt. Uh, they did what they had to do to keep Pittsburgh out. Um, you know you gotta love them for that. But um, you have to figure out how to win. That Pittsburgh's defense was too good to do what they did. I know they're missing some pieces in offense, but guess what? It's your job to figure it out. Yeah. Three first-teamers on the all-pro team, mm-hmm. on the all-pro defense, and they still just they got embarrassed. It, it, was, yeah. it was pretty ugly to watch. So the Titans roll to uh, – they beat the Texans, just as I had predicted. <laughs> uh, and that actually gets them a first-round matchup with the New England Patriots. So, uh, I mean, the Texans didn't have a ton to play for once – once Kansas City clinched the first round by, uh, they they knew that they were locked in as the four seed. Um, so yeah, so they don't have any real reason to go out there and play uh, other than get a guy's injured, and so they avoided doing that. Uh, but Tennessee is an interesting team. They really took some strides forward this year when they had when Ryan Tannehill finally got put in and started playing quarterback. Uh, and they figured out the, kind of an identity on offense. You know, Tannehill is able to push the ball and get the ball out to the weapons a little bit better than Mariota was. Mm-hmm. And thrower. and they really focused on listen, we're going to let Derrick Henry be a battering ram and run him downhill. They took the Deion Lewis stuff out of the offense, and they just Which went. Is what they should have done years ago. And they just went with, hey, we're going to give this monster uh, the ball, and we're going to let him run downhill, and it it worked. You know. You know, one thing. So I've, I've made fun of Tannehill just like most people, but you know, kind of looking back, you know, he did put up some good numbers with the Dolphins that were still really bad teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, I, maybe, maybe better than I thought. Um, you know, not great, but he's looked he's looked amazing. His, his numbers speak for themselves. Uh, maybe he just didn't get the credit he deserved because of the entire environment in Miami. No one, besides, no one was producing. Right? Yeah. So this is, I mean, the people who would talk to you about uh, the Bucks should have taken Mar- Marcus Mariota over Jameis Winston. They they used in a couple of years ago. The Titans made the playoffs, and they're like, oh look. Mariota made the playoffs. See, they should have taken Mariota over Jameis Winston. And the thing that you had to realize, what Tennessee had a top ten defense. They have a top five offensive line. They have uh, and and Marcus Mariota was put in a really good situation in a bad division at that point in time. Whereas Jameis Winston's dealing with a bad offensive line, the worst defense in football, no running game to, to speak of in any shape or form, and. A really tough division. So when people say, oh, just because he made the playoffs, that's not something that you can actually look at. Now, Marcus Mariota's out on his butt. He's going to be looking for a, jo- a backup job somewhere probably this year, while Tannehill is going to take this job over as his own. And he deserves um, it. Yeah, and he's played really well. He is playing with a better offensive line and a better defense, so something that he never really had while he was in Miami. Um, and maybe he's just realized, I can take a step back. I don't have to try to do everything. Uh, 
a la Jameis Winston, and I can just go out there and play ball. So that's what he's done. It it looks really good. They have some talented depth at wide receiver, especially A.J. Brown has really come on strong. Yeah, uh, man, very, very surprising. He finished incredible. Um, you know, speaking of Jameis, I, I was laughing because I actually went to the to the store um, after their defense and the kicker blew it, so they went to overtime. And I was texting my buddy. I was like, I think I'm just disappointed. I really, really hope that uh, – Jameis throws one interception in overtime so we get that 30-30 mark, and boy, he did not disappoint. <laughs> if, if he finished that year in any way that you'd expect him to, it was that pick six, baby, 30 for 30. Yes, that's a very fitting end to the the Tampa Buccaneers season and the Jameis Winston uh, year. He did get to 5,000 yards passing. Um, he had, he by all means... Out. Yeah, by all means, he, he, he had a really uh, good season in terms of the all-time career numbers and all that kind of stuff. He's the Bucks' all-time leading touchdown thrower. He's the Bucks' all-time leading uh, yardage thrower. He's also probably the Bucks' all-time interception <laughs> leader. Um, but Jameis has had to chuck it this year. Their offensive line is trash, and Jason Light spent a fifth-round draft pick this year on somebody, instead of drafting an offensive lineman or a rush end or another DB to help add and solidify that team, he decided he was going to spend another pick on a kicker who probably would not have gotten drafted had he not. And if they had not drafted a kicker, they could have picked up a kicker in free agency that would have been just fine. Instead, he decides to draft Matt Gay out of Utah. Matt Gay, in terms of overall, that particular game, he he missed three field goals. Um, Two of them inside 40, right? Uh, I think one of them was inside 40, but he missed three field goals, including what potentially would have been a game ceiling, one, same yeah. ceiling uh, field goal. And in, instead, that allows the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons to march on down, give, score a game-tying touchdown at the end, which the Bucks defense gave up again, and then allow Jameis to go have his heroics in which he throws an interception pick six to seal the game now uh people always or as soon as the that happens it's hey Jameis threw a pick yeah. six and that's why they lost again but if you look at the three kicks that's nine points that's huge it never gets to overtime if that situation if he makes one of those kicks it never gets to overtime in that situation and then hey the defense mind stopping somebody it's the end of the game they allowed several of these drives towards the end of the game including against seattle they had a situation similar to this so but matt gay finished with a 77 7.1 field goal percentage good for 30th in the league good thing you spent a fifth round pick on him he finished with 89.6 percent extra point percentage successfully made good for 36th in the league there's 32 okay. nfl teams that's 32 actual place kicker jobs he finished 36th okay <laughs> Um, he did have a long field goal, and he and he had he was fifth in points, but that's because the Bucks' offense was actually good and gave him tons of opportunities. I think uh, Tampa may maybe uh, need to adapt or adopt uh, New England's uh, uh, methodology this year. Someone goes in and miss a kick, cut him, sign someone else. I think they went through four or five kickers this year, including Nick Folk, who the Bucks had last year. He finished the he's cur- their current kicker. Yeah. Um, so we got some big games coming up this weekend. Um, obviously, it's it's playoff time. Um, first one, we got Buffalo and Houston. Um, Houston is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, J.J. Watt's back. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how he's going he's gonna to play until he can't move. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see this game playing out? I'm, I'm, this is probably this is the second most um, interesting game to me, I think. Uh, yeah, so th- 
this this is a really interesting game. This is two teams that, you know, you've looked at from the beginning of the season. You would have said Houston for sure is a playoff contender, probably the AFC South winner, which they went on to do. And then you also said Buffalo is probably uh, not even a Maybe they're going to be competing for an 8-8 eight and eight stop. Yeah, 8-8, eight maybe 9-7 if things bounce their way. But behind Tredavious White, who had one of the greatest uh, DB seasons we've seen in a long time, um, and, and the rest of that defense, I think that their head coach does a really good job of, of getting that team ready to play and coordinating a defense and figuring those things out. I do think that Houston prevents some, pro- provides some problems for them with the fact that Deshaun Watson is able to be mobile. If they if they utilize him in the run game and run him a little bit more, I think that really could help that team in terms of the dynamic aspect of they, of what they need. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, hey, this is your time to shine. You're yeah. going to make that all-pro team. you got an all-pro up, going up against you in Tredavious White. You need to sh- show out in this game. Um it's going to be close. It's going to be down to the wire, I think. Um, I just don't quite trust Buffalo on the road. So give me Houston to cover the two and a half. J.J. Watt, that the emotional leader on that defense being back, is going to be a huge lift for them. Yep. Um, but I, would I be surprised if Buffalo won this game? Absolutely not. No, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I think I think a lot is really going to depend on the health of Will Fuller. He's questionable again with that groin injury. Mister mm-hmm. um, always hurt. Yeah, I'll, super I'll, productive player, always. but he's always hurt. Yeah, um, but I think I think at home, like you said, with uh, emotions being back with JJ, um, I think it's time for them to take that step. I think they win this one at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titans, New England. I really want to watch this game. Um, yeah, it, and we got a uh, blizzard supposed to be coming up into the Northeast. Um, so this this could potentially be something like uh, Oakland, New England, a while back, where uh, the dynasty started. Uh, so we could be looking at a thirteen ten game, maybe even lower. Yeah. So another Belichick uh, protege in Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, goes into that goes will go into Foxborough and attempt to beat them. Um, I, like I said, I just talked about the Titans. I was gushing about them a little bit. They have a really good defense. They have a good offensive line. They have a battering ram at a running back and some depth there. And then they have some some talented wide receivers and Ryan Tannehill and all that stuff. Um, give me Belichick at home. Uh, it's hard for me to trust another team on that situation to come in there. Uh, we could see a bad game out of Tannehill in this situation. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the way that the Patriots will coordinate the defense, they'll disguise some stuff, he'll make a bad decision or two, throw an interception, and that's going to wind up being uh, the big change. Um, and then I think, you know, the Patriots offensive lead, they're not necessarily going to going to light up the scoreboard this week, but they'll get a, they'll do enough to get it done. Uh, you got to at this point in the situation with this team, it's not it's not dynamic enough in order to go in there and really put it on the yeah. Patriots. So I'm going to take the experience. I'm going to take Tom Brady. I'm going to take Bill Belichick at home. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, I think I'm going to lean Titans plus the points here. Um, I just think it's going to be a disgusting defensive battle pending the, pending the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a big key for the Titans. Um, you got it's going to be a play action bootleg a lot because um, we know New England likes to take away the best player uh-huh. and it, they're going to be key in Derrick Henry. There's just no question they're going to take right. that away. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to be leaving Gilmore on uh, AJ Brown, so he has to make a few big plays. Mm. Um, but I think I think feeding off that play action is going to be um, even if the run hasn't been successful. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a key for the Titans. Um, Minnesota, New Orleans, eight point favorites at home, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, um, man, I I really don't know which way to go, but I'm just gonna follow the philosophy that we went with all year. Um, I'm gonna be, I'd like to see Minnesota do something because you know I'm a Cousins fan. Uh, but don't bet against the Saints. 
Yeah, so this game is one of those where I could absolutely see it being really down close down to the wire. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing I could see happening is absolute snowball. If New Orleans gets out to a lead, um, Kirk Cousins has not proven to me that he can come back. That environment's going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. You've got a pretty good defense on that other side of the ball with the Saints. And then the the Saints can do any... How how do you want to lose? Because the Saints can do it to you, right? They have a, a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have... Um, a wide receiver who just set the all-time record for receptions in a single season. Yeah, you, you have Alvin Kamara, who's a dynamic threat both in the, both on the backfield as a running back and out of the backfield as a pass catcher. And then you also have Latavius Murray, who can just they can put in there and just bludgeon you with right. So um, the Vikings have had a little bit of trouble stopping the run. I expect Latavius Murray to have one of those Good games day. on this, um, and that could actually take some of the air out of the ball for uh, for the Vikings. So I'm going to lean Saints at home. I'm going to give the eight points. I don't really like doing that, yeah, but I can, I can totally see this game snowballing away from the Vikings, um, in which case uh, maybe maybe the, the, the Vikings decide, all right, Zimmer, go ahead, go to, go to the Dallas Cowboys. You know, and, and getting, getting the ball um, in multiple ways that Dalvin Cook is, which we, we've seen, is the only way the Vikings are really going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, Dal- Dalvin is a freak. He, his ability, he is one of those guys who, like Christian McCaffrey, it doesn't matter. All it, you get the ball in his hands somehow, and he's they're, he could be gone. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but the, the Saints have all pro linebacker Demorio Davis is a guy who's gonna be in, probably put on on Dalvin in terms of covering him, and they have some other good players. At the line position, their defensive line is really really good. Uh, Cameron Jordan, uh, the defensive end, and then they have. Uh, yeah, I think he was an All Pro snub. He, he no, he he made an All Pro. I think he was a second teamer. Right. Yeah, um, and then they have uh, Rankins, Sheldon Rankins, uh, who's a who's a beast in the middle of that offense or defensive line. So I think that could give them some trouble in terms of running the ball. Uh, it, in order to win this game, the Vikings really need to get the ball into Diggs and Thielen's hands on the outside and have them make plays, break some tackles, make some plays. Yeah, I think a big key, um, obviously other than Dalvin, uh, Irv Smith really has to get involved in that offense yeah. just to open it up for him. And I'd like to see um, Kirk Cousins be used as a running back on some draws uh, or you know, utilize utilize bit. his legs a little bit because that's something that the Saints don't have to deal with a lot, and they probably aren't game planning for. That's that's a potential option for you know get, getting in there and, and screwing things up a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I think my my bet on this game is under fifty because mm-hmm. uh, the Vikings are going to run the ball, are going to try and keep the ball away from Drew Brees and, and company. Right. Um, their defense just has to show up. Uh, I think that's my play. Um, fourth and final game. This one really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um. Seattle's a one and a half point favorite against Philly. Mm-hmm. I know Philly's the home team, but man, they had they haven't really looked good at all. They were right. kind of handed the East. Uh, I think the only good game they played was against a Cowboys team who was just as inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I thought Seattle should have been a touchdown favorite here, so I'm I'm taking Seattle minus the point and a half. That's got to be my favorite play of the weekend. And a lot of people like Philly to win. I just I just don't see it. Yeah, so uh, to me, the, the biggest issue for Philadelphia in this game is going to be how are they going to stop Seattle and that passing attack. Uh, Russell Wilson, one, his ability to move, you know, get out of the pocket and, and change the game with his legs is going to be a factor. But also, we've not seen the Eagles secondary really be able to slow or stop anybody at this point in time in the season. So for me, with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, um, and you know, the, an impressive rookie rookie year, right? So, so I, I do expect uh, Seattle to be able to get out to a lead in that respect. Um, 
I really like Philadelphia's offense. I think I think you know I think their coordinator, the offense, the head coach Doug Peterson does a really good job game planning, calling plays, mm-hmm. and he's going to have some secret surprise for them. Oh, without um, a doubt. And who knows, we might see some sort of Philly special play where they pull out some weird trick play or something of that nature. Uh, and I do think that uh, the Schwartz, the, the defense coordinator for, for Philadelphia, is a really good coordinator, so he's going to have the team ready to play. But I don't just don't think that they're going to be able to match up. Um, they may get out to a lead, but that's the thing. Like Even with a lead, Russell Wilson is the kind of guy that you just can't ever count out. Yeah, that, um, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, I, their team should be the Philadelphia injury injury reserve this year. They're just yeah. so they're so riddled everywhere. So I mean, Miles Sanders really turned it on, and we He's said amazing. this. We him. said this at the beginning of the season. He should have been getting the ball a lot yeah. more. Um, but he is now, and he's a dynamic player. So finding a way to get him the ball might be the salvation for the Eagles in this game. Um, but you still got Bobby Wagner on the other side and some other really good players on that defense. Uh, so I'm just I'm going to have to take Seattle to win it. So I think we all took uh, the home teams in all those situations. Oh, no, you took the Titans getting the points, yeah, right? Yeah, so, uh, so now that we're, we're just going to do a quick touch on our, our brackets. Why not? Cause, sure. Uh, now that everything's sh- shaken up, we know the seedings. Um so here's what I've got going, um, and I've got New Orleans winning at home. I've got Seattle winning on the road. I've got got the Titans beating New England, and I'd love to see it. I'm just hopeful. Um, and then Houston uh, winning. So that'll be my divisional round. Uh, then I've got the Saints uh, taking it to Green Bay. Mm-hmm. I've got Seattle winning the, the grudge match, the third match against San Francisco. Um, on the AFC side, I've got the Chiefs beating the Texans at home, and I've got Baltimore wiping the floor with the Titans. Um, so we got are my two NFC championships. I've got New Orleans winning at home against Seattle, uh-huh. and then I've got Kansas City holding off Baltimore, and I've got the Saints beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl we should have had last year. So we're, we're probably going to get there in different ways, but we've got some similar outcomes in this situation. So uh, I have Houston beating Buffalo. That means that Houston is going to have to play um, Baltimore. Okay. Now, they, they got blown out the last time. It's going to be closer this time, but I still expect Baltimore to win that game in advance. Then you've got uh, the, the Patriots are going to have to go to Kansas City. I like Kansas City to, to win there. Mm-hmm. Um because I think I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to keep up with them offensively, and I think the new you know the way the defense is playing and all that that other good stuff for Kansas City like th- this is the year this and, is the year I, I think that bye week that that loss to Miami is really going to sting New England here oh absolutely and then uh, in the NFC um, I have New Orleans winning I think New Orleans actually goes in and beats the Packers uh, to me the Packers are just really overrated how they actually even get that bye I'm not even uh, like. That's fuzzy math that the NFL just benefited for them. Um, but, yeah, so I'm going to take New Orleans going in there. I think they're actually the best team in the NFC. Um, and then Seattle is going to San Francisco. I'm actually going to take San Francisco to win that game. Uh, I think the, the bye and having seen them real recently with the extra week to prepare and, the, and get rest, get your guys ready to go, uh, I think that favors San Francisco a lot. Um, and to me, Seattle, as good as they are – they, they, they've left some. It's, they've played questionable games, you know, and and they they've had some some weird, really strange losses. These games where they've just not shown up, kind of thing. So I mean, not that they won't show up for the San Francisco game, but I think they're just going to be tired. So I'm going to take San Francisco to win that game. Um, 
And then San Francisco New Orleans, I hope we get another a matchup just like their regular season matchup beautiful. where it comes down to the very end because that, year, th- th- sure. yeah, that was an excellent game. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to take um, New Orleans to get the W there, though. Uh, which is tough because on the road, you know, going back to back weeks and, and you know, in uh, difficult places to win, go, going to do it. I expect New Orleans to do it this year. I think it's the best team in the NFC. Like I said, how do you want to lose? They can do it to you. Yeah. Um, and then Kansas City, uh, I expect Kansas City to beat uh, Baltimore. I just think that they have more ways to get it done. Uh, to me, Baltimore is a little bit one dimensional, they don't have wide receiver threats that really scare me. Uh, which is one thing that I've talked about. As good as their defense is, I think they might be a little bit overrated. They don't have a pass rushing attack that can really get to the quarterback that well. Yeah. So Patrick Mahomes with time to throw and his there's that talented group of ridiculously fast wide receivers that he's got. Guy gets hurt and another guy just steps yeah. up, right? You know what I mean? Look at what McCole Hardman did last week. He's a stud. I mean, he's an all pro as a like a punt returner or kick returner or whatever. Um, and I remember watching, we watched the draft together and as soon as they took him, you're like, who's that guy? I was like, oh, he's this really fast guy out of Georgia who basically can be like the next Tariq Hill. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're like, oh, they're gonna they're trying to film because they don't know what's going on with Tyreek, and now, right. now they get them both. Right. So McCall Hardman, Tariq Hill, you know, you've got whatever other guys, Sammy Watkins, etc. Travis Kelsey is a matchup nightmare for teams. So yeah, I'm gonna take Kansas City to win it all. We're on the same page in that respect. Um, but it should be fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to these games. All right. So you've got Kansas City over New Orleans. I've got New Orleans over Kansas City. Um, I think once we get to the conference championships, I think either either way, those are going to be two really fun games to watch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's always... Conf- the, so next weekend is, is what people always say is the best week of football uh, for the NFL of the year, where you get those... Because ev- everyone's playing, all the top four, all the top eight teams are, yeah. are playing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but don't, don't discount this weekend's games. Uh, real quick, before we get out of here, I wanted to touch on your thoughts. What did you think about the college football playoff, Clemson, Ohio State, and... Uh, <clears throat> Clemson, Ohio State, and uh, LSU versus um, Oklahoma. Man, LSU looks really good. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, I, there, there's just really no way around it. Ohio, I hate Ohio State, but they had some really very bad calls go against them, things that shouldn't happen. Um, but I do give Trevor Lawrence credit. He, he played, finished strong, and he carried that team when they needed him to. I mm-hmm. uh, still think Ohio State is the better team, but Clemson won, so that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. Um and now when, when I when I discount uh, Clemson, they're obviously a great team, but they're not the same team that they were last year. Couple, they were sure they lost uh, what like seven guys of the league in terms of on their First on their on their maybe. offensive and defensive lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm really I'm really impressed with LSU. Um, they're just one of those teams I really didn't get to like watch in person most of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna believe in the hype. Um, I'm really excited to see how this game goes. I think I'm going to lean LSU. Okay. Um, I haven't seen the spread. Uh, I'm not even really positive what's going on there, but I think LSU wins this wins that game against Clemson. Yeah. So for me, uh, I was watching the game um, with uh, out at a bar. And there's some super obnoxious Ohio State fans, including Kurt, who is a bandwagon Ohio State fan, and was just yelling all ridiculousness as loud as he possibly could at the bar every time they did anything at the beginning of the game. And a buddy of mine walks in a little bit later than us, and he goes, oh, this is over. And I was like, you think this is over? It's like they were up 13-0 or something at the time. I was like, there's no way this is over. Like, you don't understand Clemson. They have one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinators in all of college football and Brent Venables. 
clearly Ohio State was running the ball down their throats, Mm -hmm. but all they had to do is make an adjustment and let's see if they can adjust back, right? And then you're never going to count out a guy like Trevor Lawrence with that offensive line. Travis Etienne is a great player. Then they have uh, two dynamic wide receivers outside, and then and then another slot receiver that's also really good. So you can't just count out that kind those kinds of weapons and say, oh, this is going to get a blowout or whatever, blah blah blah. I was like. If you think it's over, then you're not paying enough attention to what's going on. But Brent Venables made the adjustments. They got out there. Trevor Lawrence makes a ridiculous run. That's where incredible. The, and, and that's probably the biggest play of that game was that run. Well, see, that's, to me, I thought it was the second biggest play. And mm-hmm. one thing I didn't realize the rule, which I thought it was terrible, was the targeting rule. Um, yeah. I mean, now, I, I get that you can go back to replay for targeting, but... I don't think that you should be able to throw the penalty flag afterwards because they stopped them, and then they, when they reviewed it, if you want to eject them, whatever. It's, I don't think it was targeting. But yeah. to throw the flag there, that changed everything because Clemson was going to punt. I don't like the rule either, but I've seen it happen time and time again, especially against Florida State. They've had numerous incidents where they've had players get thrown out of games after like barely a hand comes down on, on the follow-through and taps the quarterback in the head and they ejected him for targeting. That's as clear-cut as targeting gets, in my opinion. The safety had plenty of opportunity to move his head to the side, not have to initiate contact, and his head, instead of how are you taught to hit with your neck bowed and your face mask up, right? The crown of his helmet is absolutely going directly into Trevor Lawrence's head. Ohio State fans at the bar are yelling, "Oh man, he ducked into it. He put his head down." It's like, what are you supposed to do when you're when yeah. you're when you're an athlete and you're going down? You're taught to, you know, protect your insides and curl up a little bit. That's all he did. The the safety has to be smarter and has to know yeah. that you have to move your head to the side and and you can hit him with your shoulder. Just don't hit him in the head. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I didn't think it was targeting, but yeah. I'm, I'm fine with him making the call. I just don't mm-hmm. think that he should be able to throw the penalty for roughing oh, af- uh, after the replay. That, that's my I, I 100% agree, my, but the rule idea. the rule is the rule, yeah. and as soon as it happened and they showed the replay, I said, I guarantee you they're going to call it, and I guarantee you they're going to throw him out. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the spread for this game, I'm seeing it as LSU at 5.5 points. Uh I think I like the under. The under is like 77. Give, it, give me the Tigers. <laughs> it's hard to bet against them. Just get, I think give me the under. I don't know if we're going to get the uh, Alabama-Clemson game we got a few years ago that, you know, when the double overtime or whatnot, where it's, you know, 70, 80 points. I think the over-under is a little high there. Um, I'd actually lean the over, and I'm hoping for it. I'm just hoping for an absolute shootout where these quarterbacks are going back and forth, back and forth. You've you've got tons of talent in terms of the wide receiver positions on both sides of the ball. You've got good offensive lines, good running backs. Um, But I I think I like Clemson's defense a little bit more. If I had to place a bet on this, I would take Clemson getting the five and a half points. Um, At the end of the day, I still think that LSU probably comes out victorious because it's going to be played down in New Orleans, and LSU fans in New Orleans, it's going to be a raucous crowd. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, we're excited for the weekend. Uh, thanks for sticking with us, guys. Uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, like, share, comment, uh, follow uh, on Spotify, Google, whatever, however you listen to your podcasts. And, uh, and keep giving us some love, and we're going to have some good uh, competitions for you guys coming soon. And, uh, all right. Over and out. Over and out, baby.